Welcome to the premiere episode of my new podcast, Tender Rage, the show for the outrageously audacious, the loudly passionate and the slightly delusional, a podcast for anyone with ordinary courage. I'm your host, Sunny Adcock, a 20-year-old from Sydney, Australia, the friend best known for keeping you well hydrated and oversharing pop culture facts. I'm a fangirl, a feminist, a writer and reader, a sister, and a cancer baby of mixed race heritage. Tender Rage is my safe, all-inclusive space to celebrate and share the radical emotions that are so often demonized in our communities. Passion, resistance, joy, fury. A space to hold sacred the nuanced and often conflicting emotions that define our experiences of coming of age. I'm so grateful for the journey that we're beginning together throughout this exciting first season. And as we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians and knowledge keepers of the land where this show was produced and recorded and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. I would also like to warn listeners that this episode contains references to racism, sexism, queer phobia and police brutality. The following conversation serves as part one of our two-part premiere. So brew a cuppa and have a listen as we keep the rage tender. episode of Tender Rage. I am positively delighted to let y'all know that today we have the fabulous Heba Ali joining us to discuss Harry Styles and masculinity. For those of you who don't know Heba Ali, well firstly, you should thank me later. Heba Ali is a director, screenwriter, filmmaker, photographer, production and costume designer who is all sorts of excellence. She is the light of my life and she just recently rapped on her short film Um Grezzy. Eva, how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you, Sunny? I'm like so freaking excited that you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about that production? Of course. What a great introduction, firstly. <laughs> um, my short film on Grezzy, as you just said, I just wrapped on it. And it's pretty much a story about um, the merging of cultures in the West. So it follows a um, young immigrant dad called Fahad, who's teaching his daughter, Sufi, English through American sitcom TV, because through life experience, I know myself and a lot of other people um, learned English through TV and cartoons and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was important for me to kind of bring that to light a little. And as someone who knows you and gets to watch you just glow, you know, from a distance and up close, um, one of the things that I love is that you always center the stories of people of color. As a Pakistani and Fijian Indian Muslim woman, your perspective is so valuable and so interesting. So I'm wondering, when will we be able to watch this and where? Ooh, thank you so much. And yeah, of course, like centering people of colour and also creatives of colour behind the camera and also in front of the camera is really important to me. But to answer your question, we're hoping in April we'll be finished and we'll have a screening sometime around then. Um, We won't be releasing online because we will be doing the festival circuit if you want to keep up to date with where we're at with Ungrezi, you can follow our Instagram at Ungrezi Short Film. 
beautiful and we most definitely be plugging the dates that they can go and see this film on our instagrams as well so stay tuned Today we're talking about the love of our... Okay, how do I say this? We are the love of each other's lives, but we have a shared love of our life. If that makes sense, it's <laughs> yes. not each other. Um, our shared boyfriend. And that is Harry Styles. Harry Edward Styles. Harry Edward Styles. Where do we begin? <laughs> Where do we begin? Do you want to explain how we met from your perspective? And I'll say it from my perspective, because I feel like we can't begin this discussion about Harry Styles without touching on how we met. Of course, of course. So I actually met Sunny by chance at a event held by Flex Mommy. Um, and I was there with one, with one of my great friends, Aya, who was a mutual friend of Sunny's from like way back when. Mm-hmm. And I had seen Sunny on like my Instagram, like here and there. I have, we have mutual friends, but I knew it was her when I saw her, but I just like wanted to make sure. Like, <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Heba. Like, and we have just like kind of introduced each, ourselves to each other. And then I think Sunny saw my lock screen, which was Harry Styles. And then this conversation uh, about Harry, like, fangirling <laughs> ensued. And honestly, we've never looked back since then. <laughs> it was such a fun night. And it was so interesting because it was, like, such a just, like, by a stroke of, like, chance and luck that we met each other that night the mutual friend who connected us. I hadn't seen her in years. So it was, I was so excited just to see her. And then I saw you and I was like, oh, this girl looks really cool. I think a lot of girls listening to this will relate to when you see a girl who looks really cool, you're like, I just want to be her friend. And so we were sort of chatting and merging groups. And then she pulled her phone out really casually. And I saw, <laughs> I don't even remember what image it was, but Harry Styles was the lock screen. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. And I was like, it, it takes a certain kind of super fan to be comfortable having <laughs> the celebrity that you stand as like your lock screen not just your home 100%, screen 100%. <laughs> I yeah it took me a minute to kind of be like <laughs> no I'm actually proud to have this as my lock screen um because for the longest time I was hashtag not like other girls course, yeah and then I had like a normal lock screen and you would open it up and you would be Harry on the, mm-hmm. on the home screen but I'm glad imagine I hadn't had that right? lock screen you probably would have never seen it and we probably would have just parted ways I don't know how we would have like I mean, eventually we would have found out that that was an interest that we both had in common. But I think the extent, like, because I remember once I saw that, we mentioned that we both had tickets to go to his Love on Tour shows that have now been postponed. Let's not bring that up. Huge sad (laughs) react. Um, And you mentioned that you were going, well, you had tickets to go and see him in New York on July 6th, which was my birthday. And... Had I not just been about to leave for America, my goal was to go to that show. It's like, imagine seeing Harry Styles in New York, the dream place, on your 20th birthday. Um, Obviously, that didn't happen. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't tell people that I wanted to do that because I was like, they're going to think I'm crazy. And then then you met someone (laughs) equally crazy. (laughs) Absolutely matched that level. Yeah, no, look, I'm a huge believer in matching energies. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm so sorry that you never had anyone in your life before me. No, I'm kidding. Um, Yeah, you unearthing those New York dreams and memories (laughs) for me really, really hits a, a, a sore spot. But I think COVID willing, you and I will definitely yes. see our king in mm-hmm. New York City. Yes. Um, someday. It'll happen. I'm It'll manifesting happen. it. Yes. I want to know, 
obviously I feel like when people clicked onto this episode, they probably had a couple of different reactions. Either they were Harry super fans, so they're going to eat up any content that is Harry related, or they're friends of us, which is amazing. Thank you for listening to an episode about a pop star that you might not like, just for (laughs) us. Um, Or you might be curious, because here at Tender Rage, we like to do things differently. We like to intersect our passion and our fandom and our joy with our activism and our rage and so we always want to approach things from a sort of academic nuanced perspective and that's also inclusive of our fangirling so we're going to have a really interesting conversation about what Harry Styles means to society as a pop culture figure and how he has changed the conversation that surrounds modern masculinity but before we get into the itty-gritty I absolutely need to know when and how did you first discover One Direction? I'll be honest. It was year seven. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Sarah, so shout out to Sarah if you she's listening. <laughs> she had discovered them first. She she was there through X Factor days. Whoa! Um, so she's quite indie. At That's the, time. the hugest flex. That is the hugest flex. I discovered them post X Factor. I'll be honest, but Sarah was the one who kind of introduced me to them, and it was right after What Makes You Beautiful had come out, and I was like, yeah, I'll give this a listen, and I watched the music video. I will be honest. Head over heels for Zane. I can't blame you. Initially. Um, <laughs> and lots of little reasons why. He was also like the only Muslim mm. person, not only person in the band, but like pop star that I'd ever seen. And he was very attractive, kind of my age. It's like, you know, we can make it happen. And yeah, so he kind of like roped me into the fandom life. But then, yeah, as I kind of grew, I grew out of being a Zane girl and now the Harry girl that I am today lots of moments on that journey to get me there but um what about you what was your 1d origin story it's it's funny because it was actually kind of similar to yours it was after what makes you beautiful the music video had launched Mm. as well i remember i was in year six and we we had this one teacher that we really loved shout out to the summerhill gang who she didn't really let us stay in her classroom during lunch but we kind of did and we felt cool because it was like we were being edgy and whatever And so we stayed in the classroom at lunchtime unsupervised and um, we used our computer to play YouTube (laughs) because I don't know if Sydney Siders will remember this, but there was a time on like the DET portal where you couldn't access YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like the most mid-2000s thing ever. (laughs) Absolutely. Like all we wanted in life was to be able to use YouTube at school. Anyway, so we used her log on and one of my friends, she was like, oh, hey, check this out. And she played it. And I just was looking at the screen. This was the first time I had ever seen it. And from there, I was like, I must know every single thing about them. (laughs) Of course. Of course. And what a powerful single. Like, what a powerful introduction. Right? The first little... Oh, my God. Gets me going to this day. (laughs) To this day. It really, like, muscle memory. I'm just, like, stuck around. (laughs) It was such a cultural reset. And it's, like, it's funny thinking about it now as an adult because it's, like, they're trying to tell us that our most beautiful feature is that we're insecure. Gross. <laughs> but I'm still going to listen to the song on repeat and feel totally like they're singing to me. Yes, 100%. As we say, feminism in the bin. Feminism in the bin. <laughs> we're going to hit you onto this. So we're both ardent feminists and we'll ride with women until we die. But sometimes with these conversations, our feminism goes in the bin. <laughs> And we just ask for your forgiveness. And yeah, look, it's just something that's going to happen <laughs> possibly throughout the yep. um, podcast. But just know that it does happen mm-hmm. in our personal conversations. And we're going to be quite transparent about exactly. that. Exactly. We're not trying to be cancelled when you'll find out how we are. So we're just going to present ourselves to you fully right now. <laughs> so transparent. <laughs> 
It's really funny that you say Zane. You were a Zane girl initially. People always laugh at me when I say this. I was initially a Louis girl. No, I, I did not. Wait, I don't know this about you. I just exposed. Al- you were always in my mind a Harry girl. It and makes a lot of sense that I would be a Harry girl. Louis didn't really make sense. It does. Look, nothing. Mm. Without <laughs> she's like, let's unpack. <laughs> without offending anybody, mm-hmm. um, nothing about. Danning Louis Tomlinson makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great, great artist, mm-hmm. but I think especially, um, I think I could have understood like towards the one mm-hmm. beginning of the 1D era, mm-hmm. but for me it was always like Zane, Harry. I can see Niall too. Mm. Um, I just felt like during the peak of 1D, Louis was just always like the oldest. Yeah. And so I felt like he's kind of like a bit out of the realm of like standing. Um, look, I've been proven wrong, and you're sitting right in front of me. Um, what can I say? I literally owned, and don't act like I'm creepy, guys. I was like 12. I literally owned a life size Louis poster. No! <laughs> and I remember the day that I folded it up and was like, okay, it's time to put it away. <laughs> it's time to grow up. <laughs> it's time to grow up. Probably the same day I got my period. Um, it's. It was still within the Up All Night era that yeah. I shifted to Harry. And I think it was probably once I got deeper in my research and into the fandom, 1D pop-ups tried to get the concert tickets. And, of course, they sold that in, like, one second as if I could even afford them. <laughs> um, and the fact that he was just so charming. But I want to know for you, mm. being a Zane girl, which obviously makes so much sense, I think we're all still Zane girls and are all quietly oh. bitter about it because yeah. he's the one that got away. Truly, truly. Um, I love to hate him, and I hate to love him. <laughs> Look, I love that relationship. Um, yeah, I have a similar... Okay, I have many grievances towards Zane. And this is, like, absolutely just my, like, my 13-year-old heart, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, whatever, like, whoever he is now, like, I'm obviously really proud of him. He's a zaddy. He's a zaddy. Obviously married, I mean, you know, has a child mm-hmm. with Gigi. I don't know how you could get further up from yeah, there no. um but i remember like when like during the beginning times obviously like loads of like pakistani muslim girls were like oh my god mm-hmm. like in a way like kind of representation mm-hmm. um which is like yeah another topic altogether but i think we all saw him as like that cute um boy that you would like see in your community mm-hmm. and be like oh he's really cute and like you know create little scenarios in your head about of him course. And then obviously, as his time with the band kind of progressed, you like kind of saw him come away from like religion a little bit mm. and, you know, kind of find himself in like this new space that he was surrounded in with like different people and um, outside of his like culture and community and mm. that kind of thing. I can imagine as well, especially because like we're still quite a, a far away from getting true racial diversity in pop culture and in media in general. But when One Direction was a thing, we were even further from it. So I could imagine, like, mm. your affinity to Zayn in having that shared identity would have been so huge Definitely. and probably would have also influenced your position in the fan or your perspective on fandom. I know any fandom that I've ever been heavily engaged in, there has always been a small, like, micro-war between the ethnic fans and the white fans, yeah. especially when you're young and you really care about who they're dating because, yeah, like, definitely. well, all the fan fictions have a white girl with blonde, messy buns. And just, like, whenever you're like, oh, I shipped them with this person, their sort of racial bias just comes out. Yeah. And so I want to know, before we jump back into Harry, like, was your perspective sort of 
as a fan of color. Was that something that you were conscious of during your time in the 1D fandom? Definitely. And like, it's so wild that you bring up the um, fan fiction thing of like, you mm. know, all the protagonists being like, mm-hmm. what, yeah, have you seen those tweets where they're like, he like stroked her yes. blonde hair. <laughs> like, okay, instantly torn from the story. Literally. Um, it was very much that case, but I'm just remembering now there was this one fan fiction that I would like love keeping up to date with. Mm-hmm. And it was the same one. Of course. And um, it was super like diverse. It was written by this like Pakistani girl. And it was, like, I saw aspects of, like, my culture and, like, wow. it was very well written. And I was, like, wow, I've never seen this. I probably will never see it again. And I mm. really, like, hung on to that. But just on your note about that, I feel like having Zane in the band was really a game changer because I was just putting my mind back to, like, when Justin Bieber first became really popular. Mm. That space was very, like, taken up by white girls and I was like briefly a Justin Bieber fan I wouldn't say I was ever a stan Mm -hmm. but I felt like my kind of feelings towards I guess a pop idol at that Mm -hmm. time almost felt like not real only Mm -hmm. because I didn't see other people like me who were Mm. who were like those kind of fans and so obviously like you'd get like oh you're like the token white Mm. fan like as in like in my community and family they'd be like oh you're like the white girl who is like into justin bieber or whatever um but then when 1d came on the scene and zane did with that brought so many like muslim fans like Mm. pakistani girls and women who were like really into i guess zane but also the band and i was like oh my god like we all have this like one shared person that we love and that felt like really really cool and really great and it was such a great formative like experience Mm. i feel because you know how i guess now we've all or I guess we're still coming into ourselves, mm-hmm. but like for the most part, we're trying to decolonize the content and, yes. you know, things that we consume. And I'm glad that back then from when I was younger that I did have a little taste of that experience. Mm-hmm. Not that it was like to any great extent, because, mm-hmm. you know, I do feel like Zane was whitewashed by like the management yeah. and like the fans and like all of that. But Definitely. like it was still a great little like piece of mm-hmm. 1D that you could like hold to your heart. Oh, that's so special. <laughs> and I think you touched on something really relevant to so many fans of colour is being accused of being whitewashed for sort mm-hmm. of um, standing mainstream bands or idols that were majority white all the time. Yeah, 100%. And like I 100% know that you have dealt with oh, the same thing yeah. as well. And it's just like always that constant battle of being like, no, but, like, I think it's really cool, aside mm. from, like, what other people think. Exactly. Especially because in being a fangirl, you know, you're already demonized for your sort of unbridled passion because of the sexist ideals that are out there that tell us how a woman should behave. But then when you add racial bias onto that, when, you know, women of color are excluded completely from the narrative of what it means to be a woman and are then placed in a different way, there's a whole other level of sort of discrimination or prejudice, I guess, You could say that you experience being a fan of colour engaging in behaviour that is considered unladylike. Definitely. I would love to keep my fangirling, like when I wasn't with my friends, like on the down low, Mm -hmm. um, like my guy cousins and stuff like that would like tease me about loving like Zane Mm -hmm. or One Direction and stuff. So I would kind of just have that internalised like um, misogyny of like, no, like I don't really like them that much. Like, mm. I like I think I like that one song, I think, that they put out, like, something about being <laughs> like beautiful. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, other than that, like, I'm really into, like, Fallout Boy and stuff. Like, yeah, it's just such a big me. Um, but it was also, like, a moment of, like, trying to protect myself from yeah. being, like, homogenized into, like, this group of, like, 
no, just being homogenized is like the white teenage yes. girl, fan mm-hmm. girl type thing that we often see. Especially like you spoke earlier about that whole, I'm not like other girls, which I think unfortunately we all go through. But I feel like that would be even deeper when, you know, you already sort of have an internalized idea about how males perceive you when you are othered at school um, for being racially different, that you don't want to add another level of quote unquote embarrassment onto it. You know, like you kind of feel like, oh, well, if at least I can't have an edge up on the, you know, the rest of the white girls that they adore at least I'm going to be like a cool indie chick. Yeah, because you really got to pick your battles with yeah. it. You're like, hmm, how, w- which card am I playing today? It's Will I really choose all that survival. Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, I like that we've grown with it though. And like mm-hmm. we've kind of been like, you know what? Let's reconcile these two parts of ourselves mm-hmm. or multiple parts of ourselves to be like, no, we can be this and that and mm-hmm. that and that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, love Multifaceted that till the end. Queens. As we've discussed how sort of pivotal Zane was in your experience as a fangirl and as a directioner more specifically. <laughs> Warning feminism. <laughs> <laughs> Warning, this, this episode contains many feminism and <laughs> moments. Many feminism and moments. When was the moment you became a white man so Harry Styles? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I think when HS1, Harry Styles 1 mm-hmm. debut album, for <laughs> those who aren't. Familiar. The locals. <laughs> yeah, the locals. Um, when that came out, I was like kind of like vibing it, but I was never really like my white king. Like I was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Oh, how things change. <laughs> Lol. Uh, both of us sitting here in our Harry. I know. Um, <laughs> fantastic. But I think it was kind of towards when a little bit before Lights Up came out, when mm-hmm. he was like teasing like all of this new mm-hmm. um, music, I was like very interested and intrigued. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a lot of the reason was I felt like his first debut album, mm-hmm. HS1, was it was very him trying to break away from the mm-hmm. boy band mm-hmm. image. And I felt like he was being someone who he thought he should be. Mm, interesting. Whereas with um, Fine Line and like the, this Fine Line era, it just feels so authentic and mm-hmm. so him that when Lights Up came out and when the video for that came out, I was like, wow, like he had this in him all this time. Mm-hmm. And it's just so different from like all of the other stuff he's been doing. Because I, looking back onto the first album, a lot of the tracks felt quite similar with Fine Line. Like a lot of the tracks have they're all different in their own so way so drastically different um and I'm, i feel like seeing him become so comfortable and grow into himself was mm-hmm. like so lovely and like not just as a fan but just like as a person like it's also that story of like he got famous when he was like 16 mm. and he's almost what 27 now yeah 27 now and like seeing that progression is obviously really lovely and sweet but in terms of like actually being like <laughs> would lay down my life for him <laughs> I think when I got to know him as a person, like, <laughs> I was, like, seeing all the interviews and, um, obviously, I would watch every single in- One Direction inter- it's the only interview way to do on it. Sun, seeing the way he would always just be defending, like, the fans mm-hmm. and kind of always, despite being given that womanizer label, always just show the utmost respect mm-hmm. to, like, women in all spaces. I didn't really see many of the other band members do that. Yeah, definitely. And not that, like he should be, like, hailed for doing. Like, it, mm-hmm. it really is the bare minimum. But he was just more forthcoming with that. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, yeah, maybe he does deserve my everything about me. <laughs> Which is a huge part of his appeal. Like, I would agree with you. It's so nice to see his sort of transition and his journey, his metamorphosis, because granted, yes, he is his own individual with his own talent and ambition. But, like, 
I think us fans feel a lot of pride in his journey and a lot of, for lack of a better word, responsibility, because I don't think people understand that, like, the fans created One Direction. Mm. Like, their mass success is completely due to teenage girls on the internet. Definitely. We gave them an unprecedented level of fame. And it was our sort of first brush with agency as young girls. Um, you know, even when we were demonized for it, it gave us a real look at the power that we had. And so I think to have someone who was able to have the success that he had and then still come back to his roots and still respect his fan base and not want to neglect us while expressing himself artistically in a different way was really wonderful and really lovely. A hundred percent. And I think Harry in particular has always um, been conscious of that. Mm -hmm. Not to say the other band members Mm -hmm. don't, but I feel like that he acknowledges and shows his appreciation Mm -hmm. for it the most. And like we were discussing Mm -hmm. before, like he's always the one playing like 1D hits at Mm -hmm. his like concerts, at his like standalone gigs and stuff. Um, So he, I think, is always, um, has always been very appreciative of that as well. And just going back to like how he would kind of like defend us in his Mm -hmm. interviews. And I think you pulled like a really cool quote. Mm -hmm. Um, Was it from his Vanity Fair? Uh, Maybe Rolling Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love for you to read it out. Yeah. I want this quote on a t-shirt. Honestly. Um, when the interviewer asked him, like, if he worries about, like, credibility mm-hmm. now as a solo artist, mm-hmm. um, because he had the pop idol image mm-hmm. attached to him and, like, obviously having lots of fangirls. And what he responded was, like, very lovely and very, very Harry Styles mm-hmm. trademark. So I quote, Who's to say that young girls who like pop music, short for popular, right? have worse musical taste than a 30-year-old hipster guy. That's not up to you to say. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles, you're going to tell me they're not serious? How can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future. Our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents. They kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. The way that we're like fed such scraps normally that in hearing that I'm like ready to tattoo it on my chest honestly you said it before but get me that on a shirt literally I want it on a shirt and I think I think that was actually his Rolling Stone interview which was like such an important one too because as anyone in the fandom would know anytime before he releases an album he has like a huge sort of tell-all interview mm-hmm. in Rolling Stones um is it Rolling Stones or Rolling Stone Rolling Stones Rolling Stones yeah there's multiple there's a gang of them um And I think that was a really interesting decision because especially since Rolling Stones is recognized as like a really cool, serious publication, Mm -hmm. um, he could have really used that opportunity to rebrand himself as somebody who was exclusively looking for a mainstream male Mm -hmm. audience and who was not to be associated with young and passionate girls. And the fact that he decided to so staunchly defend them, Mm -hmm. I think, is really indicative of his appreciation for the fandom Mm -hmm. um, and just how grounded he is for a pop star who has received such an insane level of success with that as well like him remaining true to like his values and to the fans and stuff I think lots of other people felt that as well because I was having a discussion with one of my friends and the question came up like out of all the 1d solo artists like who do you like the most and he said like Harry Styles obviously you know people like Louis or even Liam feel more I guess masculine quote mm. unquote or like they they look like the artists that men would be into more yes yet 
Harry being who he is and how he presents himself still attracts a lot of male attention and like a lot of male fans as well, which I think is is very interesting because we haven't seen anything like that with mm. um, Justin Bieber or even um, I'm trying to think of like other male pop people, but those are the two like mm. the notable ones yeah. that I, I can think of. Um, Definitely for our generation. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. That's really true. And it's funny because despite doing this, his critics have had no choice but to still recognize him as serious and as mm. talented as someone who is worthy of his fame, you know, outside of his participation in a boy band, which I think is really important that in getting this recognition, it's kind of that validation that after being judged for all those years, we were onto something. We weren't just blinded by his good looks. Like we have taste. And sometimes it can feel like a slap in the face that it's taken until now where male music journalists have decided to affirm his talents for the rest of the world to agree that he's serious too. Mm. But no one will forget, last of all, Harry, that we were the ones who got him there and who saw his talent first. Definitely. And look, we love him for that. He's he's not the artist to kind of be like, oh, well, I'm pretty cool and mm-hmm. kind of hot stuff now. Like we can kind of just forget mm-hmm. how I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very mindful of that, which I really appreciate mm-hmm. from him. We had a really interesting discussion about the fact that it's so funny that in the band he is maybe seen as the least masculine and yet is the member with the most amount of sex appeal surrounding Mm -hmm. him because during his time in the band, his sort of PR branding or his sort of position in the group was the charming one, the womanizer Mm -hmm. and the flirt. You know, he quite repeatedly dated a lot of older women. He dated a lot of models. He was um, charismatic and confident. He was more sort of expressive in his clothing choices. And even mm. then at the beginning, that was the bare minimum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he really was just out here in his staples. And yet he still sort of had an individuality that was markedly different from the rest of his peers who I love them all. But it's so funny because that's such a, it, that label never was something that he mm. ascribed to or something that mm. he provoked himself. It was very media driven and any fan of his knew that that wasn't the case and that he's always expressed dismay for being over-sexualized and for being seen as this macho guy who was misogynist Mm. in a way. Not that people claimed he was misogynist, but I feel like it's hard to be labeled a womanizer and and not also be thought of as a misogynist. Definitely. Um, Which is so strange because he was the only member in the band who openly from day dot expressed feminist sentiments and defended women and refused to sort of... um, Be boxed into what he was being boxed into. Exactly. And I also think it's important to note that while he had this, like, womanizer label, he was still really, really young. He Mm. was the youngest person in the the band. Yeah, forget that. Yeah, I think it's quite unfair for a 16-year-old or Mm a 17-year-old, someone who's not even of age, to be having this label of, like, very promiscuous Mm. and, you know, sexualized. And also, obviously, the issues with him dating older women as well. Mm. That's a separate topic. But um, I can imagine it would have been very confusing and Mm -hmm. maybe stressful for him to kind of be like, well, this is how 
the world and like media and even sometimes the fans are seeing me but this is not who I am mm. and I think a lot more of that was kind of reinforced when the kind of fan fiction surrounding him mm. was very kind of rooted in like him being this like really controlling like misogynistic boyfriend or you know partner and obviously these stories would be written by fans and by women and so they were kind of putting that image onto him which I think would have been very stressful for him because He's like, what have I done to give this impression of myself mm. um, to the fans? And in these stories, like, it's very much a toxic relationship Definitely. that we're seeing. And he's never really given us um, a reason to believe that he would mm. be like that. So I think it's really interesting that even, like, the fans themselves have put this identity on him. Mm. And breaking out of that as well would have been such a task. Um, but I think he's managed to do so as well, like, in his current image now. And I imagine it would have been like incredibly odd knowing that the band profited from him having that image. And I imagine when he appears at least to be personally opposed to those sorts of behaviors and attitudes and ways of looking at women to then see that some young fans seem to want that from him mm. because that toxic persona was definitely romanticized in fan fiction. I think the majority of fan fiction showed him as this toxic bad boy, dark exclamation point Harry um as a lot of readers would be familiar with I mean particularly after mm. is the most notable one I yeah. feel like there can't be a conversation about his image without discussing after anyone who lives under a rock don't worry if you do we still love you <laughs> the movie series after was originally published on Wattpad by Anna Todd and was a Harry Styles fan fiction mm. he went from Harry Styles in the fan fiction to Harden Scott which Hardin I find really Scott. funny they didn't even try to hide it and but it was funny because when we were discussing this earlier, we were like, why as women with agency beginning our feminist journeys, why did we have the feminism of the bit? I mean, personally, actually, I never was drawn to dark Harry fictions as much as I'm a feminist in the bin. <laughs> when it comes to like writing and stories and relationships, I, I just, the feminism in me is just impossible to remove. Definitely. It's gorilla glued on. Um <laughs> But we were trying to unpack why that was, that there was definitely a mass market for it. And although we've shifted away from it, it was truly something that existed back then. And I think it's because we are told by the media through portrayals of love and film and television that we need to be ready to accept sort of troubled romance and mm. that desire is the same thing as love mm. um, and that sort of possessiveness is like an attractive quality yeah, it's an attractive like quality. things like, own, like ownership mm. even is the way that you know women should aspire to be loved definitely because anything less than that is yeah not love and that is such an interesting and like really sad concept that we were mm -hmm. socialized into especially as 100%. young girls but i'm glad that you know a lot of us now have come, mm -hmm. even with the series like after mm -hmm. seeing that play out in real time now as a 22 year old mm -hmm. or whenever it came out it would have been a bit younger seeing how problematic all of that stuff oh is gosh, yeah. and thinking that, you know, someone my age at, at 14, 15 would have thought that was like the pinnacle of mm. romance or the pinnacle of like love and then go and kind of pursue things that mirrored what we would be reading online. Definitely. So yeah, that's very, it's very troubling. Obviously like after wasn't the only <laughs> franchise to do this, but I think all of the films that featured relationships like this were just, agents of patriarchy in the sense of by desensitizing us to this sort of treatment and to this sort of unhealthy types of relationships it meant that men didn't have to do better and mm. that we as a society didn't collectively 
need to sort of reorient our perspective on love mm. and on self-worth and on sort of safety and well-being. While there were authors who wrote about Harry in a more true fashion, I think for the most part, like, we just would not know how to recognize and receive healthy love at that age mm. because we just didn't see it around us. We weren't told to sort of have boundaries, have standards, to not accept someone's behavior just because they say it's their way of showing love. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't know how to accept that. We weren't taught to. And so I think in a warped way, this is the only thing as young women that we knew how to navigate, whether or not we truly wanted it. Mm, definitely. And I think it's also important to note as well, for these young girls, and when I say these, I also mean mm-hmm. us when we were that age, we maybe would have made allowances for this kind of behavior because mm. it was like this person that we loved so much, like yeah. Harry Styles. And it would have been so easy for him to buy into that persona Definitely. and just follow that because that's what was already being made for him. So if he didn't stray away from that mm. narrative, it would have just felt natural because that's mm. what we were all reading. But then we discuss it now as well, like seeing how he actually is, it comes as a surprise almost. Yeah. Um, And I think that's very unfortunate as well because we put the bar so low that anything that he does is instantly like, wow, what a a king, what an angel. And (laughs) yes, he is our angel and our king, Mm -hmm. but he's obviously had his own little questionable moments of like, would I have done that? Or Mm -hmm. maybe I would have done this a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've questioned him and like in those kinds of rights as well. But yeah, I think fan fiction definitely... Um, how to roll in lowering our mm. expectations for not just him, but like men in general and mm. kind of numbing us to the effects of the patriarchy as mm. well. Yeah, a weird space for girls. Such a weird space. And I hope that fan fiction is different now. Mm. I think that it is. Because, I mean, I read a heap of fan fiction and managed to avoid those more n- nastier tropes. But I think that white film directors and white publishing agents still think that is what sells. Mm. So I hope we continue to shift away from that. But talking about shifting away from things, I think some of the other things that really marked his transition from boy band to solo artist was just his like his change in fashion mm. and his change in social media. Yes. Um, so crazy different. I mean, the way that he dressed in his like take me home era, mm. actually in all of his eras to now. Eons <laughs> of change. Eons of change. And I also feel like, a lot of that was management suppressing his mm-hmm. identity, his style, like who he was authentically. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying before, how I felt like the first debut album didn't really feel like mm-hmm. him. Not that I know him on a personal level, but it didn't feel as authentic as Fine Line does. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very easy to see the difference between the two because the way he dressed kind of towards the HS1 era was still kind of like in that transition phase Mm. of like leaving the band and still exploring and discovering who he was versus now he's a fashion icon. Mm. Um, He's really changed the landscape of fashion and masculinity and femininity, which we'll get into as well, that I feel like he couldn't have done unless he was being authentic. And um, he's really coming to himself from then as well. Literally, he went from like almost exclusively wearing white t-shirts, black skinny jeans and Chelsea boots to sort of more provocative designer clothes like Mm. blouses sparkles um pearl necklaces and floral suits have become his trademark and obviously there have been icons who have done this before him but 
he really went from zero to 100 and we have to love him for that 100 percent. and he's actually like my style icon as well i love that very iconic the thing about his style it like is almost rooted in maybe not rooted in but it's very inspired by androgyny definitely um, and i really love that it's giving like lots of people lots of young people mm. like the agency to kind of be like oh well well someone is like you know famous and successful as Harry mm-hmm. Styles is really like comfortable with himself and like almost giving people the permission mm. to experiment with themselves and their their identities and their clothing and stuff too which I which I love and he's he's almost done that like inadvertently I don't think he thought mm. it was ever going to be um that impactful definitely um, but I love that it's infectious mm. and I think it's interesting that you say inadvertently because I think the thing that's been really funny or really interesting, I should say, watching his transition from boy bander to solo member is in part a really strong media strategy and in part just sort of like accidental things that have happened because of his actions. Like it's, he's someone who is so politicized and yet so apolitical at the same time. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that comes in his social media use. Mm. Um, like he used to, you know, engage in, I guess, like Q and A's and follow sprees and just tweet, random thoughts and, and quirky sayings and song lyrics and we obviously all love that but he wasn't necessarily very political mm. and I I wonder if that was in part because of where he was in his life um in knowing about certain issues and just sort of sitting in his privilege a little bit mm. um without a sort of greater consciousness about that um but also because of management at that time like the mid the twenty, the early and mid twenty tens, like being political, just did not sell. Especially if yeah. you wanted to be a family friendly band, and with the exception of the video of Louis and Zane um, smoking <laughs> weed, this yeah. was a very clean band who yeah. managed to have like little to no scandals. scandals yeah. Um. So being political was just not really an option, I imagine. Mm. And I would say that he still managed to be somewhat political, but that was based off of. I think him being super clear what his morals were Mm. um, and being really conscious about promoting positive ideals of kindness and empathy Mm. and equality um, more broadly in a really vague sort of preliminary way. And then now I think it's kind of what I like to call he's developed more soft politics. He's sort of shifted away from morals to being more politically oriented. Mm. Um, You know, he's more vocal, be that selective. Like, we saw him attend a Black Lives Matter protest. Yeah, that was kind of game-changing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though, you know, it, like, still kind of was, like, bare minimum kind mm-hmm. of stuff that everyone was doing at the time as well. It was such a step up from, you know, we used to see him, like, wave just pride flags mm-hmm. at his gigs. And we'd be like, that's cool, that's mm-hmm. awesome. But I remember that he would get lots of flack around, mm-hmm. um, you know, not waving the Black Lives Matter flag mm-hmm. or, you know, not speaking on, on the issue. And this would have been 20... 17 or mm, 2018 yeah. or something like that um and then flash forward to now i think he's realizing that he's a platform in his voice and especially his identity as like a mm-hmm. white man presumably cis and straight mm-hmm. is such a powerful voice especially to be talking on topics of race mm. um and i think him coming to terms or you know awakening to the idea that like he will be listened to because mm. of who he is um, not just as Harry Styles, but because of the body that he exists in is such a powerful, I think, tool that he's kind of awakened to, I guess. Definitely awakened to. I think there was a real sort of idea that he just wasn't aware of the power he had beyond the fact that he was a celebrity. 
And I think it was so important to me as a mixed race black fan to see in his tweet that he addressed that he is not at risk of experiencing the discrimination that black people do Mm. because he exists in a privileged white body Mm. and that he has only been able to do the things that he has and reach the level of success that he has because of the privileges that are afforded to him. I know me and you had a really excited, passionate voice memo discussion as we do on Instagram about the fact that it was really important that he encouraged his audience to read and to listen Mm. and to get engaged and that he publicly announced that he was donating money to bail out protesters who had been arrested. Mm. Um, I remember us being so excited because we were like, yes, King, we love the anti-police sentiments that were like, it was there in the subtext, you know, like, especially because there was so much divisive dialogue on whether or not people had the right to be protesting Mm. and so much vilification of protesters for being Um, looters and rioters and thugs and criminals which was obviously just coded in white supremacy Mm. for him to be like not only am I going to go to the protest but I am going to bail them out because they should not be arrested it it was siding with them and I think black people and black protesters who are literally risking their lives really needed our support and our solidarity and so I was like yes that's the police a cab (laughs) (laughs) I mean maybe half his chest um (laughs) but no yeah definitely I think um you know it's very easy for someone who has engaged with politics very like carefully as to not you know tread on any toes or offend anyone for him to kind of say this anti-police stance Mm. was very important especially to his message i feel like he could have very easily written a very wishy-washy post about that so many celebrities did yeah that's exactly so many celebrities did um and it would have easily just sunk into the background Mm -hmm. as well like no one would have really said anything Mm -hmm. if he did do that but he was quite mindful in being like well if i'm going to speak out on a political issue Mm -hmm. it has to be authentic and it has to be Um, what I actually believe and I want to have an impact on a fan base that does consist of a lot of uh, Mm. white fans but also black fans Mm -hmm. and other fans of color who struggle with Mm -hmm. race and racial politics every single day so I'm I think his response was very diplomatic but also in the right air of of what was going on Mm -hmm. at that time definitely and I get a lot of people saying to me like well why is it important that we know what he thinks about this issue or that issue. And I think it's because when you think of how many hours that you or I and other fans of colour have spent supporting him, Mm. we want to know the bare minimum that he would support us back. Because quite frankly, I would not be investing all this time energy and money in someone if they were white supremacists. He would be just kind of like my soul could just not take that. Mm. And so it's important for me to know on these sort of issues that I do feel can't be negotiated on, for me at least, that are, I guess, uncompromisable. It's important to me that we're on the same page. And it's interesting because I just want to read a quote that he said in an interview. I'm not sure where, I can't remember. I didn't write down where it was from, but I'm sure you can Google it if you want to fact check it. While I know this is a different social issue, but he was asked why he waves pride flags at his shows. And he said, I want everyone to feel welcome at shows and online. They want to be loved and equal, you know. I'm never unsupported, so it feels weird for me to overthink it for someone else. And I really appreciated that sentiment because it shows that he doesn't take our support for granted Mm -hmm. um, and that us as his fans are worthy of support and black fans definitely needed his support at that time. And I hope this isn't the end of his journey, his anti-racist journey. Mm -hmm. I hope it's just the beginning. But I definitely think it's worth acknowledging that anyone going to the protests at that time were risking their safety definitely. Um, because of the police force and resistance that was being used in America. 
but also because of the coronavirus. Mm. So many fronts. So many fronts. And particularly those protests in LA, there was a lot of police resistance and there were Mm. really high numbers of COVID going around. But then also add in that you're a... Pop star. Pop star. Very recognizable, very notable. Your safety is also on the line. And granted, that safety is not more important than the black bodies that needed to be protected during that time. But I just felt as a a fan of color, that was a really special moment. It was. And it was definitely important not to just have him like say his little piece and then retreat back to his den of safety. Like Mm -hmm. he was out there doing the work as well, um, like many of us were also doing across the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And it did feel uniting and in the quote that you read just then about like him wanting fans to Mm -hmm. feel loved and accepted and safe that act from him did also contribute to to that and I'm sure it made black fans be like well yeah like my time is not being wasted Mm -hmm. you know I'm supporting someone who would support me and Mm -hmm. is supporting me in the times that I need support as well absolutely especially because you know going from being a boy band member who had to use media a lot he now um, as a solo artist really rarely uses social media he doesn't tweet very regularly at all unless it's to promote his albums or his singles or his concert dates and so for him to have actually used his influence once was really important. Mm. And um, it reminded me of another quote from another article when he was actually questioned for not using his influence more, which I think is valid. But he said, because of dilution, because I'd prefer when I say something for people to think I mean it. There's a power to doing the one thing you want your whole weight behind it. Mm. So I think his selectiveness, you know, while questionable, I think in this case meant a lot. Definitely. Because like you were saying, as he mentioned as well, you can raise your voice for everything. And like mm-hmm. people who do, I have my utmost respect as well. And I really do appreciate seeing mm-hmm. that stuff on my feed as well. But if you have every single person doing that, like with every like story or post mm-hmm. that you click, you can just get numb to it sometimes. Definitely. Um, And so I think him being quite selective and speaking up for what really desperately needed attention mm-hmm. at that time, it worked out quite well mm-hmm. for the time and space that we were in at the time. Definitely. You've been listening to Tender Rage with Sunny Adcock, featuring guest Heba Ali. This concludes part one of our two-part premiere. Stay tuned for the next part as we venture into discussions about Harry's relationships with women, the female gaze, character-driven masculinity, and that infamous Vogue cover.